This week is Greg Gillis, aka Girl Talk. Uh, we're still on this wrap round robin tour. We got one week left. We have New Haven, Brooklyn, Trenton, Philly, Baltimore, and DC coming up. So check out wraproundrobin.com to get the scoop on these dates. Uh, the art, as always, is by Mike Riley Comics. My man did the quadruple homage this week. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. And once again, we're being hosted by SpliceToday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. Uh, I grew up in, I guess it's Collier Township, which is about 15 minutes south of Pittsburgh. So, I mean, I met you in 1999. Yeah. I showed my parents' backyard. And that was where I grew up. So I, I never lived anywhere else other than that house until I was like 18. Okay. Somehow in my mind that was that was also in the North Hills. Yeah, no, that's actually opposite end. Um yeah, I didn't really know the North Hills that well growing yeah. up because it's like kind of only knew my neighborhood and then the places I would go in the city to see like shows and whatnot. Mm. And what was what was your zone like? Uh it's pretty rural out there. Like I would say most of the people who went to my school it was pretty suburban. Um yeah, I don't know. It was, I guess it was slightly, like, we didn't have many neighbors, and you know what I mean? So it was kind of out there in a way yeah. where I didn't have that many people to hang with, and I definitely think that contributed some to just getting involved in doing my own thing and doing projects at home and yeah, doing solo music and spending hours messing around with four tracks and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I'd say a lot of people went to my school, lived in areas who had, like, neighborhoods and lots of people hanging around, so I was kind of off my own zone out there. Mm. What were these, like, early projects? I think I, I was in a band in, like, 7th or 8th grade that never practiced and mm. didn't have music. It was, like, the idea of a band. That was the yeah. first time I was in an idea of a band. And we were called Toothpaste, and then Gosh. we stayed together long enough to change our name to Stomach Butter. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we had never practiced. But at the time, I was kind of into, you know, some, like, alternative music, like Nirvana and Sonic Youth and Nine Inch Nails and... So it was like, with those bands, they were kind of abrasive and noisy, so it seemed like you could just, I could be in a band even though I didn't know how to play anything, but it mm. just seemed like, oh, I could just get a keyboard and mess around, yeah. or I could uh, sing poorly, or whatever. Even though those bands were very talented musically, kind of the dissonance in their music and some of the more abstract things made it seem like I could kind of do that. Yeah. And then, like, probably around, like, when I was a freshman in high school, I got a lot deeper into underground music and uh, started listening to like the Carnegie Mellon Station, WRCT. Oh, yeah. And met Manny and kind of discovered the world of just straight up experimental noise music. And, yeah. and that was just a real mind blower. And um, yeah, and then I started going to these like Manny shows, Manny Thiner produced yeah. shows and these he, like more. You should explain who he is. Yeah, Manny okay. is um, a guy who's a promoter in Pittsburgh who I'm guessing started in the 80s at some point. Um, I definitely know he put on a Nirvana show in like 89 in Pittsburgh. It was one of his claims to fame. Yeah. But more so than rock music, he was a bit more geared towards like the avant-garde, whether it's jazz or experimental. And 
and he had a noise show on WRCT that he DJed oh, wow. that I, I listened to on a regular basis. And I actually met him at uh, Lollapalooza in nineteen ninety five. I was fourteen years old, and he was there, and he was handing out a pamphlet that was Lollapalooza's guide or Lollapalooza doesn't present Pittsburgh's guide to independent music. And it was like this manifesto of all of the venues around town and the local bands. And it was like an anti-Lollapalooza thing. And it was, Mm. uh, you know, kind of like dissing corporate related music events and all this stuff. And it was super influential, you know what I mean? Because at that time I was kind of into a variety of music, but trying to go deeper. But back then it was hard to find out about stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was like looking to find that underground stuff. And this was like the gate, you know, this like was everything. Um, so shortly after that, I started going to shows that he'd put on. The yeah. first one I remember going to was Trans Am, uh, oh, who I love. And yeah. it's to this day, you know, I own all their albums. And that was probably like when I was in eighth or ninth grade. And uh, at that show, uh, a band called Misha opened up a Pittsburgh band. And they were probably a few years older than me. And they're still around Pittsburgh doing cool stuff and interesting projects. But um, they were kind of like an experimental rock group. And just seeing like, I think they were teenagers at the time. Seeing them do their thing, open up for the show, was kind of like, oh, I should do something. Or mm. I could do something. So around then, it's like when I started my first bands with my, my friend Joe Scalise and my other friend Richard Saparito. And we had like various projects. And... One of the first things I got involved with was just making a noise cassette to mail to Manny to try to just oh, see if we could get it played on the radio, yeah. just as like an experiment sort of thing. Um, yeah, and that just started a wave of us just starting projects and going to shows and trying to get booked on Manny shows. And we um, we started a cassette label, which was called OBS Records, even though we didn't really have money, but we like would produce some cassettes. But it was more of like a band, like collective, yeah. among, like like-minded bands locally, but we'd also get on um i don't know if you remember when mp3.com popped off yeah in the beginning it was like it wasn't like a napster or, or an uh like it wasn't uh an itunes it was kind of more like a local you know you just make your own page on mp3.com right 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 so we would just find these bands and like teenagers making weird stuff around the country and contact them and just kind of like ask them if they want to be involved in this and um yeah, it just turned into like my main thing in high school was starting bands in this collective. And the main one was the band The Joysticks Battle, the Scan Feed Relay to Your Skull, which was me and Joe and Richard, which was just a straight up noise band, yeah. kind of a performance art sort of thing. But then we had tons of other little weird projects that we'd start for one one show or one cassette. And that was just like what we did like those four years. And uh, yeah, it was fun. And, and, you know, I think in Pittsburgh specifically, People like Manny and some of the other like-minded bands, people you are friends with, like yeah. Graham Buffet, and got to meet Lord Grunge and Jackson Graham Buffet. And just really, you know, there's not that many people here, so it's not competitive. So I think people are really open to a bunch of, like, teenagers just doing their thing in yeah. that scene. So it was never... Um, we were doing weird stuff, and it was always kind of embraced. So there was never that much friction in terms of us coming up with, like, a stupid idea and, and pulling it off. It was kind of like people were into it because that scene was so small. Um, yeah. So it was just healthy. And, you know, Manny brought in very legitimate, interesting, international, crazy shows and would occasionally throw us on the bill. So that whole thing was wild. And, um, yeah, I think just the whole, like, local scene and vibe, it was, you know, like every city, they got their own thing going on. Yeah. So it's a one of a kind thing being from there, even though they're kind of related city to city. I feel like the character of, like, 
noise music and noise musicians has changed so much mm-hmm. to me in a small amount of time. Like, like it's hard for me to picture you then as a noise guy, <laughs> even though right. I saw I saw the joysticks right. one time. Like, what was it about it that? We were, I guess... That spoke to you. I guess we were kind of, like, even a little bit of outcasts in that scene, and I think Mm. we embraced that. Yeah. And, um... Because even though we were into... I was just kind of into how far out this music can go. Yeah. I mean, and I would straight up go some pretty, at times, boring shows, you know, and sit there and pay $5 and sit there and watch five hours of local guys doing ambient experimental music. And at times it was very engaging and other times it's boring, but it was just, I was just into it as a fringe sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, Richard and I, we also really like pop music and yeah. pop culture specifically. Like we love watching MTV and we love kind of what was going on in rap culture. And we loved all those things. And that, that um, scene didn't seem to embrace that so much. So mm. we kind of, and you know, a lot of people are trying to be shocking in their own way and that noise on the ground. So I thought like that was our kind of in in terms of having our own angle. It's like we're teenagers who like this noise thing. Yeah. But we also are gonna embrace pop culture and we yeah. did little bits of sampling. And it was definitely kind of like the early, you know, baby steps of what would be the early stages of girl talk yeah. stuff, which was a lot more experimental when it started. Um so yeah, I don't, I don't know, like that scene, it was like, I guess we, because we liked a lot of, the, like I liked indie rock and we like rap and it was like the noise thing, I think for Rich and I, it was just the conceptual aspect of performing was really engaging, mm. like what can we come up with for this show? Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of known for um, just antagonizing audiences, like throwing televisions at people and launching right. fireworks off at them. So that was really engaging on just a teenage kind of uh, rebellion sort of way. Yeah. You know what I mean, even though I think we liked the music and stuff, just it was really a, a fun group. Yeah. Sometimes that music isn't necessarily associated with, you know, fun. So yeah, that was kind of it. And it was just, it was, I don't think, you know, we didn't, it, one thing always just led to another. Like we didn't start the band being like, oh, we're going to launch TVs at people. Just like <laughs> this weird evolution just happened and just... And the thing was, it was a pretty, yeah, it was just a non, it wasn't too calculated of a project. It just kind of went where it went. I remember seeing this thing, Grunge told me about it, and then it stuck in my head and I looked it up online years later, but it was like a list of upcoming shows you guys had, but they were all just like, like crazy concepts instead of shows. <laughs> right. Well, we like, had our last year... Um, cause we were going to break up like when we graduated. Yeah. So that la- and the show that you played in my parents' backyard, that was our last show. Um, but that summer we had that tour, which I think is what you're talking about. And we would review each show ourselves, Like it was like a tour diary sort of thing. And we just made a point of playing at least three shows a week, but we didn't really go outside of Pittsburgh. So it'd be yeah. like, this is a show in the parking lot of Giant Eagle, the grocery <laughs> store at 8 p.m., We'd play in the lobby of the Stereo Lab concert, letting out, or like often we sent Grunge and Jackson from Grand Fay to perform as us for a show, you know, oh, stuff right, like right. that. And like we would do multiple shows simultaneously, and you yeah. know, just like that whole summer was just like, how far can we go? And it was just always a performance happening. We some of them were like pop up guerrilla style, other things were like more conceptual, like going to like a high school pool party and grabbing their radio and jumping in the pool and then running away right, right. <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> But yeah, that was kind of the peak of like, you know, how extreme can this go? Um, But yeah, that was, you know, kind of back to the question of what appealed to it. I just feel like that was 
kind of like on a slight prank level. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty immediately gratifying. And I, and I feel like that's why a lot of people are kind of drawn to the project locally, even people who weren't necessarily like that concerned with experimental music. Yeah. Did Girl Talk start like in college? Yeah, it was kind of, um, it started pretty much immediately after. I think the last year of the Joysticks, we started doing a lot more sampling um, and getting more blatant about that. And uh, I didn't really have a computer of my own at the time. Um, Richard had a family computer with some music software on it that we'd use occasionally. Yeah. And I was really into, uh, I like Negative Land, and I liked this guy from Columbus, Evolution Control Committee. Yeah. And I really liked uh, Kid 606. Yeah. His Straight Out of Compton remix came out when I was in high school. So those people who were kind of like cutting up music and doing something. I just really liked that because it was an extension of making experimental music, but making it just appealing and more exciting to people who could kind of connect to it, who, again, like weren't necessarily so involved in that scene. Right. So when the joysticks stopped, um, I got a computer, my first computer, because I was going to go to college. I went to college in Case Western, and the computer was for that laptop. And, uh, you know, I had seen people perform on computers and went to all these experimental music shows and saw that as an instrument. So it was almost like getting a guitar. I was really excited to have this laptop to be able to, you know, actually do a project with it. Yeah. So, you know, the initial idea was to do something like Evolution Control Committee or Negative Land. And those guys were primarily based around, you know, found sound and old recordings and yeah. audio collage do that but kind of put my spin on it which was you know as someone who consumed a lot of pop culture and pop music do it but make it entirely based around you know cutting up pop music as opposed yeah. to like old obscure records and things like that so you it's, it's like secret diary is that like even though it's very different from the stuff later is that all all samples yeah yeah um entirely samples and yeah that it's probably like closer to a joysticks record at this point than like yeah. what Girl Talk evolved to be. Because um, there's some songs on there you might be able to bob your head to, but I'd say half the record like doesn't have structure or right, traditional right, structure right. or like beats or anything like that. So yeah, that, and you know, I think when I started, I definitely wasn't thinking about the long term or what it become. It was more of like kind of on our little tape label sort of vibe of just this is a fun project idea to have yeah. a band name that sounds like a Disney group. Right, to come right. up with artwork that would seem like it's for teens, but have it be like a really difficult to listen to record. So that was kind of like the initial inception, uh, which is always really weird to think about where it has gone and that it's kind of become my life and career and it's still called girl talk it's that's really bizarre to me because it mm. was so focused on this initial little aesthetic Tape, yeah and just yeah. this vibe for this one album and uh it just kind of kept going and yeah where it is now it's just always even when i see it on flyers sometimes like a festival next to a band i really like or someone i consider iconic i'm like i can't believe it says girl talk it's just so <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> like that's my name that's awesome so I, I actually realized recently that there's a Girl Talk record that I don't know, which is unstoppable. Okay. When did that go down? I, uh, so I got to give you a copy. I really, I kind of stand by that record as a, one I think is kind of interesting and was um, overlooked. And not overlooked, it you know, got as much press as any as Seeker Diary or anything. Yeah. So that one was kind of in between Night Ripper, which is the record that kind of broke out for me in 2006. Yeah. And, Seeker Diaries, 2002. So Unstoppable was 2004. I'd say it's kind of in between. Um, there's, it's kind of using, there's some mashup elements on it, 
but it's it's the last song I did where it's like really uh, individual songs, you know, like beginning instead of like a mega mix or a continual mix sort of yeah. thing. So there's individual songs and it's all sample based, but um, unlike Secret Diary, it's not it's songs. You know what I mean? There might be like a verse, chorus, bridge structure mm. to it in some yeah. ways, and uh, there's beats. And I think as the project was evolving and I kind of was getting involved with some like minded people. In, I was living in Cleveland at the time, going to college, and I got down with um, a guy named Frank Musara, who does a project called Hearts of Darkness. Yeah. Andrew Strasser, who does a project now called uh, Bad Brilliance, and Joe Williams, who had a project called White Williams for a while, and I think he's something yeah. else. All these guys, we started doing shows, and um, you know, we liked to kind of present it as more of an attitude, kind of a punk or rap-ish attitude based yeah. for uh, l- electronic music, you know what I mean? And we'd be playing these laptop shows, but we'd be getting on the microphone a lot yeah. and trying to perform and making it something that's entertaining. Yeah. Um, so around that time, you know, I, I specifically remember kind of really trying to get audiences to loosen up and then dance, but I was still making experimental music, so it didn't really make sense to mm. be like yelling at people to dance and like, <laughs> have a wall of noise. Yeah. So I started to do some things where I was definitely going to more house parties at the time and just kind of taking in the way modern pop and rap, you know, resonated at a party and I just really got into that and wanted elements of that in my show. So mm. I just started to make music. I was like, I want to make stuff that's not dance music, but maybe you can at least nod your head to it. Yeah. I think that kind of led to Unstoppable, even though it's kind of still an experimental record and still difficult. It's like there's songs and there's beats throughout it. And that music was definitely resonating harder at shows in terms of people mm. dancing. And around that time, I started to play, you know, a few more shows that'd be more like house party style. And some of that stuff would kind of go off with, you know, people dancing like it's a party. And that was very yeah. influential in terms of being like, oh, I can make music that my whole life I had just done kind of experimental music that people really didn't listen to that much at home. Right. They weren't like songs people love. So for the first time, I was kind of making stuff that people liked on a visceral level and could kind of get down to it at a party. And, and that was just, you know, very kind of influential in terms of planting the seed for, you know, like what I would do on Night Yeah. I remember seeing you, I think, around that time at Beehive mm-hmm. with Gilman Terra, Grand Buffet, Bow and Arrow. And... Yeah, you had like a crazy stage show at that point. Yeah, I was having that era was, um, and I guess this was a prelude to having people, random fans, dance on stage, which I've done for the years. But I used to have um, choreographed dancers. Yeah, I don't know if that was happening at that show, but yeah. So yeah, just some friends from kind of my little world of bands and art people and music people um, in Cleveland, and uh, yeah, I really wanted to bring that kind of pop energy to the show, which yeah. was madly poking fun at myself because it was still a laptop show and I was still just triggering samples on a laptop. So I, I wanted the show to be fun and entertaining, but it was also, yeah, kind of making fun of myself a little bit. Yeah. This idea of this like grand show, this grand Michael Jackson style pop performance of a guy triggering samples on a laptop. So yeah, we got, um, I would kind of get some, it was always like a crew of people and we would, I would kind of help choreograph it. We would sit down and have some pre-recorded parts where I would jump out and we would do these dance routines. And, yeah. And uh, I was probably like, you know, and again, that, that as well planned to see because I, as things got bigger and into more recent years, I've always been into production and I've always had, uh, you know, from the earliest shows, always having like a pre-recorded introduction. Yeah. WWF style where you come running out you know you're introduced and you yeah. like the crowd sort of thing 
Um, and that era, yeah, that was when that was coming in kind of into full force. And I think that was probably the Unstoppable Album era, you know, yeah. where the music was still not fully there in terms of stuff people wanted to party to. But, you know, you could still have a show that would connect and be entertaining to uh, people who didn't necessarily have to like uh, remixes or electronic music or anything. Like in Cleveland, did you have people that were digging what you guys were all doing? Yeah, but we were also really obnoxious. I think it was a turnoff to certain people as well. So there was a little scene. And I think, especially because we were coming from, because I noticed it in Pittsburgh, occasionally there's things from CMU, Carnegie Mellon here, that seem very isolated to the city. Yeah. They have their own little hub, and they might not go to the venues that everyone goes to or know the same people. And, yeah. And some people are turned off by that. So I think in Cleveland I was, I think we were involved in the music scene there, and I definitely... Got to know a lot of people and definitely attended a lot of shows, but I think we were also in our own little bubble. Mm. I think that was appealing to some people, but also maybe a little bit of a turnoff to you know the scene a little bit when you show up with like twenty people and you come in with a certain level of confidence and yeah. you want to kill the show and you're kind of your own thing. So I think we had a little thing going definitely amongst our group of friends and in the university and you know I'd play house parties and it would go over okay and yeah. we'd play shows, but um, within the actual city, just to a small degree. You know what I mean? I think we would get some press, um, but nothing major. You know, I just felt like everywhere we went, our friends were into it mainly, yeah, more yeah. so than anyone else. Did you still have, like, a presence in Pittsburgh, you felt? Yeah, because I, um, I definitely, like, to this day, you know, the people I knew kind of growing up, um, putting on shows when I was in high school, or same, some of the same people still put on shows today. Um, people in bands are some of the same people I still know in bands. So, yeah. When I went to college, it was kind of a nice thing because it's close there, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, I'd pop in and do shows here pretty yeah. often. And I think that had an impact because people didn't know that I had, you know, a circle of friends like we had. So we'd come down with like numbers and like 10 or 20 people, which mm. is a lot of people when you're playing like a 50 people show. Yeah, yeah. And if we'd show up at this electronic show that people would be kind of quiet at all night and then you would go on and all your friends would, you know, start going crazy. It would have resonate to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even in Pittsburgh, I never thought there was a scene prior to Night Ripper of like people really getting into it. I'd say the place right, that it right. actually kind of popped a little more during that era was in Morgantown, West Virginia. Because we, we booked these little tours and it's mainly regional, but for whatever reason, I yeah. felt like in Cleveland and Pittsburgh, I thought people always knew me as a local thing. And since the idea of the project is kind of novel, I think it's easy to dismiss. It's like that guy doing that weird thing. Oh, yeah. But I think once you travel for a show doing something like that, then all of a sudden it has some credibility to people. So I started playing shows in Morgantown maybe in like 2005. And That's crazy. Yeah, and, and like the people there, just it just like hit. I think it just seemed bigger because it was from Pittsburgh <laughs> or Cleveland. And it seemed like a legitimate thing. But it's yeah. also this wild thing. So... That was kind of the first place I felt like I had a fan base of like I could go and play a show and there'd be 50 people who'd come yeah. out to see me, which just didn't really exist in Cleveland or Pittsburgh yeah. unless it was like friends of friends of friends. Right, right, right. This, this Night Ripper was like 2006 or yeah. something. And, and I did notice like when I was playing shows in Pittsburgh and even, you know, I was, I was touring a little bit then and as Night Ripper was about to come out, um, those shows were going off a lot better based on the material. You know, I think it was the first time I started to play continual sets where the whole thing would basically be like one yeah. jam. And um, yeah, even in Pittsburgh, I have some distinct Garfield artwork shows that just like went well. You know, yeah. they weren't. 
And it is kind of funny because I had a day job at that point and I was working in a cubicle doing engineering work. And um, around 2006, I was kind of getting a little tired of doing the shtick, more or less, of yeah. like, because it takes something for me because I don't consider myself that outgoing of a personality, like socially. So to kind of get in the mode of doing Girl Talk Live, it's outside of my character. And like, I don't consider it like me putting on a character, but it's like performing in a certain way. Yeah. And it definitely is like, it's weighs on me a little bit mentally and physically to go there. And at the time before Night Ripper, um, I, you know, I've just played so many kind of shows at Garfield Artworks in Pittsburgh to like five or 10 people where no one cared. I was coming off work and I'd go there and be ripping my shirt off and going crazy. Yeah. And it got to a point where I was like, I don't know if I really want to do this so much anymore. And there was a little bit of period where I started, um, just before Night Ripper, where I just started doing like noise shows as Girl Talk mm. and these weird things where I was like, I don't want to go there and have to like ham it up on the microphone or get yeah. in front of people or do like this performance thing. So I just started doing these weird performances and like one show I karaoke to slow down version of Pantera's walk for like 30 minutes in a row like it just not loop and it just kind of got back to like joysticks vibe a little yeah. bit and uh and I think like I don't know it's like it's not like Night Ripper was uh like I it wanted it to even like I wanted to have success but it wasn't like this is my last chance or anything it was just kind of like I just am tired of performing this way yeah and then once that record went out and it started to get a buzz and people started to come to his shows then it was like kind of dropped the weird performance stuff and went back to right, right. where it was and then started like building up on that again. But it was interesting because I think if that record didn't necessarily resonate, I still think I'd be, I would definitely be making music, probably be doing it as Girl Talk, but I don't know if like, could it be just more experimental? Like, I don't know whether yeah. it's going down that path, but like since people connected with Night Ripper and people wanted to hear stuff like that, it got me motivated to yeah. do shows related to that style of music. It kind of makes me think about how how the way you feel about what you do in a live context kind of almost doesn't matter or something. Like like I like I have totally been through that where I have a certain set and I'm like, no, nah, this is I can't do this anymore. So, right. It, but then it's like like people really really connecting with it could be like right around the corner. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like. I mean, I'm very critical of my own work, and I think when you are doing something for so long, I'm a self-conscious person, so it's easy to just be like, this sucks, I'm tired yeah. of doing this, this is stupid, but there's a lot of people out there who might not have seen it, might be really interested in it, yeah. so it, yeah, it's it's a tough balance to know, um, you want to do stuff you love, and you don't want to pander to anyone, but you know, you also don't want to be like overly self-indulgent. It's just you know, it's a balancing right, right. act to get it somewhere like in between there. So, what was the experience like of suddenly that album that album pops off? Like, did you did you tour like right after that? Or I still had my day job. Yeah. So, um, I remember it picking up like uh, buzz on some blogs that summer. Yeah. And more so than any of my other releases. And, and I, I knew when I'm making it, I was even kind of telling my parents who follow my projects but don't know what's really going on. I was kind of right. breaking it down for them where it's like, this album, like stuff like this has existed. There's like plenty of precedence for this. But I feel I did think it was its own unique thing at the time, yeah. you know? And I was kind of saying to my parents, I think this could like be something, you know what I mean? Not to sound like naive about it. I've been doing music. I was like, this one just feels like, I didn't think it was going to be a hit, but I was like, I just think, I might have some fans after this as opposed to just yeah. my friends liking stuff right, right, around right. with. And um, so I remember seeing it kind of pick up 
like blog buzz and it just felt really good because again it kind of felt like the first time people were actively into it and then uh what really popped it was like the pitchfork review came out and it was a very positive review and um and then it's like you i got to see that machine of the snowball effect of like mm. oh pitchfork wrote about it now it's like rolling stone wants to you know cover it or something yeah. just really popped off and then shortly after that like literally that week people all these booking agents started contacting me and publicists and stuff and i was just like not really trying to deal with any of it just thought i'd kind of stick on my own and i remember like i played a show at gooskies that week which is a small bar here in pittsburgh yeah. and um yeah, just right after the pitchfork thing came out, and it's like it takes a while. It's not like that happens and like it just is on. You know, what I mean, right. that's like the first big push because I remember still playing it, and then it was all of a sudden it was like it was filled up at Gooskies, but it's still like I still couldn't draw more than like fifty people in Pittsburgh. Right, right. But um, you know, it just picked up from there, and I do think it was just an easy thing to write about. In addition to being a novel piece of music, just because it's like oh, there's three hundred samples and a lawsuit's waiting to happen. And I studied biomedical engineering. People love these like narratives that don't right. necessarily even matter for the music, and they love right. running with that stuff. So I think the press was really in place for a lot of people to write about it, and then it just connected with a lot of people at the time, especially because like EDM didn't necessarily exist, so there wasn't like any sort of um, there was mainstream dance culture, obviously. And I was going But to, what would that even be? Like, I was really at that era. I was really into going to clubs in Pittsburgh, and I'd like put yeah. up a button up and like. I felt like, not like going undercover, but it was like, you know, I wouldn't put on that button up for anything other than work, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. uh, But at that time in the clubs, I would go to a straight hip-hop, you know, yeah. just Missy Elliott and Ludacris, and um, it was a great era for, like, club rap around 2006. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just felt like it kind of connected with people who were into stuff like that, but also were interested in a wide variety of things, and it kind of filled a void of, like, when I started playing shows, it was some a place to go party on like an underground level, you mm -hmm. know? But I do remember like, you know, kind of based on my history and the joysticks and everything I've kind of come up on the response to it. I, I've always kind of been, have my issues with like the music machine, you know what I mean? And, and I was kind of part of it now, you, you know, as far as like people running with these narratives and, you know, once one person writes about something, everyone else has to kind of catch up with it. And it's, yeah. it's this game that becomes less about music and ideas and more just like fashion of like what's popping right now. Right. right. Um, so I do remember being a little bit um, like resisting it. And like I had, I did hook up with a booking agent, Sam Hunt from Windish Agency, who's still my agent today. And I feel like that was just a really lucky thing that I picked him because he's a guy who actually goes back and he grew up in Oakland. He was a big fan of Kid 606. We have similar musical oh, backgrounds. Nice. So it was kind of easy to vibe out with him on what sort of shows and kind of the evolution of the project and yeah. stuff. But one of the first shows he booked for me was um, at the Mercury Lounge in New York and um, Natalie Portman was there and like music press was there and everyone, it was like this buzzing thing, you yeah. know? And this was like a month after all of the reviews came out I remember getting on stage and uh, just like kind of like being mean to people and like almost like <laughs> like my friend like my friend Jaime always referred to as kind of like being like a heel like in WWF and I'm oh like, yeah like what's up you idiots and it's like you guys paid to see someone play laptop and it was kind of like because my friends were there and they've been supporting this this whole time and I think we all just felt like these people can like this music but it just seemed like like a weird sense of like this is kind of weird bullshit that. You know, it's just like people, mm -hmm. just everyone bought onto this now that the review says, all right, but who knows? Like it could have blown up on its own terms. It's hard to tell what comes first, whether these people would have been into it either yeah. way or whether that was the cause of it. 
but either way, I felt really self-conscious just um, of my friends being there and being like, oh, it's like a line to get into Greg's show. Mm. And oh, like Natalie Portman's here. And oh, like Rolling Stones covering the show. And I just felt kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like a natural, like I have to be, com- you know, combat this in some way. Yeah. And uh, I remember that show getting actually really poor reviews and everyone being like, Know, the record's good but this guy doesn't know how to play live and mm. he was insulting people and blah 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 and it took just a little while after that until it was kind of like just accepting of this crowd coming out and just really being appreciative of it and it's it's cool you know people are just right. into this um but yeah that initial thing it was i feel like that was just a really short-lived period where yeah my buddy jaime always refers to it like going from a heel to like turning you know in WWE oh, yeah. where you like go good or whatever um but yeah, after that, it was kind of like the show, all of a sudden I was still working my day job and Sam was booking me shows on the weekends and I would, I didn't tell him my work about it. So no one knew. So I would like dip out, go in early on Friday and leave at like four o'clock and mm. run to the airport and go play a show and then fly Friday, Saturday shows and they were all selling out. And these were like maybe like 500 capacity venues. This is the first time I had really headlined any shows, you yeah. know, and uh, it was a really fun air, and I, I held down that day job for a year. I just continually, like, book shows, and, like, you know, one weekend, I uh, flew to London to open for Beck, and then, like, left on Friday, played the show on Saturday, and came back to work on Monday, <laughs> and, like, didn't say anything to anyone. So, it was really, like, insane, um, and it was fun, but, yeah, it was just kind of wearing, and it was yeah. just kind of, like, that was just, it's just an interesting era, too, because all of a sudden, it's, like, a mix of a crowd, and people like the music for very different levels and some people are just coming out because they know it's the place to like party and where they might get yeah. laid and that's cool you know what i mean but it's just like it's a tough thing to kind of deal with all that and so now you have people coming to your shows who you really like and vibe out with but there's also just straight up complete assholes coming to your show <laughs> you, you know and it's kind of like juggling all that and it's something i was always proud of you know I, i'm happy to have a project that uh a v- wide variety of people can relate to yeah you know it's almost like there's a faction of the crowd that might not even like girl talk. Yeah. Like, no, no, <laughs> no. It feels like, and again, like I was saying, like, it's something that I feel good about in a certain way, you know what I mean? And I do feel like uh, just that it's such a wide variety of people and that yeah. it's just, you know, there's definitely a style to it. And I, I think people tend to, like, look a certain way or act a certain way. But it is all over the map, which is something I like. Yeah. But, you know, that's something where, yeah, it can be brutal at times. And especially during that early years, to, 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 be, to be honest, that's kind of where it peaked. And, like, that show that you guys played was probably, uh, you know what year that was? It was in Atlanta. It was, like... Um, that wasn't that long ago. I feel like that was, like... Was it 2011? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, for a while there, it's like people come out and some of those shows, it's like shows that end prematurely because we used to allow the stage rush to happen um, because initially it was kind of like invite a few people up. Then all of a sudden it became a thing where people saw photos and videos and then it was like in the rider to just have security, but allow people to just jump up there. Oh, And then it's like then there's people who are just ripping people apart, people getting hurt and like. You know, it, it just got chaotic, and I, I love the chaos to a certain degree, but it gets to a point where it's like, you know, it's, too many shows are like ending prematurely, or some people yeah. are getting hurt or whatever, just not cool or not fun in any way. Um, but yeah, it's like the crowd, there's, it's a real mix, and it can be brutal, and I, I it's funny, because I did really notice it, especially with people who would play shows with me, and especially when they're my friends, and I would specifically ask them to play the show, and oftentimes, like, with Grand Buffet or with Shark Tank, like, 
sometimes it would pop, you know, and people would get really into yeah. it. Other nights, it, it would, people would get, they would just be so mean and boo, and it's just like, I'm always kind of like, do they think I had nothing to do with this? Like, do they have right. any idea, like, right. how these guys are, like, some of my favorite musicians and people who have been so influential to me? And, and it was everyone, ranging from, you know, just everyone I went on tour with, like, had their on nights and off nights. Right. And, uh, and it's just, the funny thing is, is people think they're having a good time, but it's like, like when that happens, I'm just like so depressed, you know, right, like really right, bumps right. me out before the show to like have to deal with that. And there were times when it was understandable. Like I, I did have a band open up in Norfolk, Virginia, that was from, um, like my noise days. Um, yeah. so we had a strip noise band open the show and it's what like, band was I, that? it was, they were from, um, Headmolt was the name of the band. Oh, okay. They ran a noise house in Hampton, Virginia called the Rat Ward. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. know the Rat Ward? Yeah, that's come up on a few. Okay. Podcasts. Oh, really? Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I had played at the Rat Ward a few times and uh, knew those guys and played through Norfolk. And I think they hit me up. And I fully well knew that, um, and this is on YouTube, by the way. There's clips of the show, which is pretty incredible. Um, I knew that they were going to get booed, you know what I mean? And I warned them. It's like, it, this is a fun place for your confrontational music to actually be confrontational. So yeah. You know, I know that it's not going to go over well. And they went out there and they did their thing. And I think they thought that I was even going to be upset because they kind of even ramped it up or they had like a wall of noise. But the guy, just the one vocalist, uh, just kept screaming, this is what you paid for mm. over and over. And I thought it was awesome, you know what I mean? And people were booing. Yeah. And uh, security was actually confused because we told them that people were allowed on stage. We've never had the issue of people trying to get up there during the opener. So they just saw us for everybody. And random stage people got up there during that band and to like, like to unplug their stuff and it like got physical <laughs> and like it was a wild scene. But I remember them leaving the stage and kind of talking to them afterwards and I got the vibe that they were like, you know, not concerned that I was pissed, but like thinking that I wasn't into it or something. And I was like, no, I trust me. Like I've seen like groups I consider pop get booed on stage. Like, yeah. I knew the noise yeah. was going to go over like this. Yeah, that's that's always a funny thing. Like I think some people think like you were saying, like, you know, do they realize that you, like, put them on the show? <laughs> right. But I think some people think that you would, like, like that they would do it. <laughs> right, you know, right. Because like, that's the thing, because there is the occasional show where it's like, I usually like to approve the openers if possible, you know, if they send over some ideas. So there is a time where I didn't check something out and it's on there, but either way, <laughs> like, I would just obviously just never be psyched in them booing anything which is the crazy thing that even if it was a random act but most shows i play these are you know things that i really wanted on there yeah um yeah, yeah it's it's really crazy and um you know grandma faye was actually some of uh the kings of just handling it obviously like yeah. their stage banter and there's one real they played in atlantic city with me a couple times and the one time was especially brutal for whatever reason and uh jackson went off in a way that um like wasn't jokey or friendly it was just like straight mean and like he commanded the crowd so hard that they actually he kind of turned them around where they yeah. like gave like polite applause after every song after that but he went off off and it was uh you know i know that was like and it's a tough thing too because i always love having grandma faye play and knowing that that could happen you don't want to put anyone through that but if they're down for it then cool Let's go. you yeah. know what i mean because i'm excited to see them handle it and yeah. shows like that to me were like that was one of my favorite grandma faye shows ever just because it was just so volatile and crazy and you know yeah. just involved and there was like real emotion there was like stakes and you know it's right, like how's right. it gonna pan out so you said early on you had a period where you were like the heel and then you you like 
became like a crowd rocking kind of guy. Yeah, like I'm here to. Um, yeah. Which is there was always like a populist edge to the project where it's like yeah. I want to have some connection. But it was fun, even prior to Night Ripper kind of getting bigger. I think that was a little bit in the heel mode in like 04 to 05. Yeah. So even with the dancers sometimes, I think it was kind of like, um, the dancers. And, and again, kind of, like I was saying before, kind of poking fun at myself. as yeah. Like, I'm the man. And I even remember in uh, the city paper, Pittsburgh city paper, there was an article and I was like running my mouth in a way that's like really counter to the way I actually like felt about myself you know it's like more like a joke and kind of being arrogant about laptop music and uh there was like people who kind of called me out about it locally and stuff mm. and there was like mal beef and that was kind of part of it it was kind of part of um yeah I guess slightly I don't think it was full-on heel but little hints of it yeah um, just because to me that was such a um fun weird counter way to approach this the laptop music game you know it yeah. just didn't seem like there was many people rocking that. And it wasn't full-on bad guy, but it was, like, elements of that. It was right. More like, a, you know, the classic badass rock dude who's, like, yeah. you like him, but he might be a piece of shit as yeah. well. Yeah. As you more, like, full-on, like, you're saying, like, embrace this, like, rocking the crowd. Like, I always wondered, but, like, was it crazy to to show up? With just the laptop, like at first you had like nothing, like yeah, you eventually yeah. had like all the yeah. lights and everything. And right? I, and in a weird way, it's like I feel like I was confident to do that, even though it's absurd and tons. And especially when you're going to these like 500 cap venues, the sound guys are like, "Who's this schmuck with the laptop?" Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like occasionally the staff or sound guys who much respect and many friends in the field it's because sometimes it's a battle with them in the band oh, it's yeah. like, there's a little standoffish vibe and that's just the way it goes and especially with a guy named girl talk coming in alone with a laptop sometimes they just you know weren't feeling it from the yeah. jump so I, I but at the same time i think you know i felt confident doing that based on my history with the joysticks in a weird way just yeah you know my whole foundation was rooted in being like fuck you Right, you know right, I, mean? right. I, mean, I specifically am psyched that you're not into it, and that, right. that's the root of it. So in a weird way, I kind of like that. You know, I was never concerned so much about being like, is this going to be entertaining enough? Just because the shows, it, people were just into it, just based on kind of the hype around it and the music, and um, people getting on stage, it was so chaotic, it just kind of worked. But at the same time, when shows, a lot of those shows sometimes fail, you know, like I said, some ended prematurely, or yeah. someone kick a chord out, and like, in my mind, my noise performance art conceptual guy background it's like was psyched on that but at the same time it's like you could just also have a tight show that people enjoy mm. so it's a little split between that i feel like during that early era when like anything would be bad or weird or awkward or you know the show would end it was kind of like i was kind of into it in a weird way yeah it carried some energy and some of the vibe of why i initially got started in performing music in the first place and there's yeah. you know a certain amount of danger to it and it definitely, as the shows went on, it got more organized, and I think that's removed to a degree. But at the same time, um, other there's like a positive and negative to it. It's like we got to the point where the shows were too many of them were ending prematurely. People were getting hurt, so it's like, all right, let's put up a barricade and just get these people backstage and invite them, random people from the crowd, but yeah. just kind of uh, make it more organized. But once we start doing that, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can bring rent 
video screens and yeah. now we can have cues where it's like we shoot confetti and we do that. It's all of a sudden it kind of like evolved the show to that 2011 towards the first time where it was like the organized girl talk show. Mm. It was more or less like five years of like 06 to like 2010 more or less uh, where it was kind of just crazy, figure it out, my cord's going to be unplugged, half the speaker's going to go yeah. on, that was the vibe of the show. And around 2011, the shows got bigger and it became a real production and it was like... It was cool, and it, it, in a certain way, it went back to those shows with the um, synchronized dancers and yeah. all of that. It had that vibe, and in no way was I kind of like sorry or sad about losing the chaos. Because, like I was saying before, the chaos just reached a point where it's like it's just not. It, in a certain way, it's already calculated. People know it's going down. Yeah, and then it's like I don't know. Yeah, it just I don't know. It's just not as exciting as it was. So I was right. really excited for the show to evolve, and it got to the point where it's like, okay, we can do this big now. Now I have a lighting guy. We can go over the set and like all of those things. And that's really been the past like four or five years, kind of evolving the show in that way. Yeah, which has been exciting. And specifically at 2011 tour was like just a real eye opener for me. I just didn't think there was gonna be a next level to like the shows. And then it was like a real obvious one where it's like, oh, let's just get organized and like hire more people and. and do a big production. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these are all just my friends from back in the day who have seen the shows over the years. And those people are um, specifically like Chris really brought the idea of having the leaf blowers to shoot toilet paper yeah. that um, I don't think this was ever revealed in any interview, but he told me that he saw that at a less than Jake show one time. <laughs> and that's where he got the idea from, which is excellent. So then it was like, you know, it was like then from there, we, it just started to be introducing like one idea at a time. And it was like, let's yeah. do this. And then, it's like, oh, we could do a balloon drop for this big show. And then we do it, and it's like, we, we paid for it first. And it's like, we can just do that ourselves. And all those people involved, my friends and my tour manager, David Scheid, guy has been doing my lights, Ben Silverstein. All those people are pretty involved and, you know, really awesome. And even Sam Hunt, booking agent, my publicist, Jessica Linker. All those people, I just feel like, have seen it evolve and we're down to get feedback. And yeah. little ideas came from everywhere, like me, but the whole collective. And the show just kind of kept moving. And all of a sudden, it was like all those things we would do for a one-off show just became staples. And yeah. It's like, let's just keep, keep it growing in that direction. You said you've been doing less shows, mm -hmm. but is it mostly festivals or is it mostly yeah. um, a handful, oh, okay. a handful of club shows? Um, yeah, mainly just uh, like one-off festival things. Yeah. Um, I have been considering the idea of going back out and doing a tour tour again. Yeah. Um, just been at, just been, I work, it's like when I'm not on the road, I just work constantly on music stuff. Yeah. And, did this project with Freeway last year. Yeah, we got to talk about that. And um, so it's like I did a ton of beats in preparation for that. And yeah. I've been on that tip trying to do more stuff. And there's been some more seeds pl planted as far as more projects like that. So it's like the time – that was the big thing. It's like when I, I took some time off the road in like 2012. And for the first time since Night Ripper, like the whole run, it's like I always – it takes me a long time to make stuff I like. You know, I'm, I'm not like – like <laughs> – not like proficient at doing what I do or mm. something. You know, I, I dislike like most things I make. So I'm always trying to keep the sets new. And when I play live, I trigger all the samples in real time. So even when I come up with a new idea of like these songs go well together, I have to learn how to play it and learn yeah. how to transition in and out of it. So it's hard for me to change the set. So it's like from 06 to 2012, it was just a constant hustle to come up with new material because mm. there was demand for shows. And I just really, especially with electronic music, I just like to I don't like to repeat that many things. There's certain things yeah. from albums people kinda of recognize as a song of mine or something they're expecting to hear and I don't mind playing that. But when I go back I like to kinda of keep it moving as much as possible. Yeah. And I have noticed some fans that I've gotten to know through Facebook or Twitter or real life. Some people have 
follow the shows, you know what I mean? Uh, I, and those are like the number one fans. So it's like, I want to keep oh, it moving wow. for them too, you know, and keep it fresh. And with everything, the production on the show, the visuals, but definitely the music. Um, yeah, in 2012, when I took a minute um, off, just I'm just not going to do shows. It was yeah. a, the time when I really started to kind of um, just work on these beats for like the freeway thing, which wasn't yeah. confirmed yet, but just really liberating fun working on something that wasn't meant for the show. Right, and it right. was so refreshing because I just had been on that six year like grind of just preparing for shows. So um, yeah, so I, I I would not oppose doing another tour, but right now I've really enjoyed kind of just doing these one off dates, yeah. occasional club show, mainly festivals, and just really being at home and uh, working on new stuff that I don't know whether people hear or not or what. But it's like I'm I'm excited about it personally. So do you just do you kind of have like a roster of people like? Like, say, that Atlanta show, there were so many people involved, yeah. and it's like, do you just have this selection of people that are ready to go for, like, the one-off? Yeah, and, and they, and there's, like, so it's like, I have one main tour manager, David Scheib, who I mentioned, yeah. but occasionally he can't make it, so it's like, someone will sub in, Grunge yeah. has done it, Grunge is an excellent tour manager. Oh, nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's like, Ben Silverstein's my normal lighting guy, but then we have a couple, like, people who, who also do the job, so I always want the normal person because they know the show and how it goes. Yeah. And then the people who help out on stage with, like, the props, there's usually two people per show. And right now there's about six people who basically have the job. And the way it goes is, like, if you're currently working a show, you have dibs on the next show. Oh, it's okay. yours if you want it. Yeah. And then certain people, a lot of those people have other gigs or other jobs, yeah. and then it falls through. But those people are always kind of there. So I've been lucky enough to never really be seeking someone there. Where yeah. When someone can't make it, someone else is down to sub in. And when it's one-offs, for me, it's really fun to see those people because those people are some of my better friends yeah. and I, they don't live in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And um, so going out and seeing them and a night out in whatever city we're in is a great time. So yeah. I'm always, I think they feel a similar way where you're working and getting paid, but it's also a nice little like yeah. weekend vacay and get to see some friends you don't get to see and, you know, go do your thing. Yeah. So to talk about this freeway project, like... Because I, I remember you were talking about it before there was a rapper yeah. involved. You were like, I want to start making these beats. Yeah, and so, I mean, it, it basically came from, like I was saying, I stopped basically preparing stuff for shows. And I don't know where the idea was there or whether I just started just kind of fooling around. Where it's just, yeah. I listen to a lot of music that is not the stuff I sample. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. Like I was saying, you know, it's like most of my stuff is primarily top 40, but there's tons of music I've listened to over the years. It's they're more obscure or whatever you know yeah so but stuff i like and stuff i'd like to work with and cut up so i kind of just started working with some of those things and then the idea came was like oh i could do a mixtape with somebody not have it be necessarily mashups but have it be sample based because I'm, yeah. I'm always into the idea of just not being boxed in i think people mainly know me from my last three solo records from night ripper all day but you know it started secret diaries really different i think in sampling yeah. there's so many different ways to go and i thought this would be a good chance to just keep it evolving and stick with the same instrument. I think people, something that's always bothered me is, I think people always think of it as a novelty project because it's so specific, you know what right, I mean? And, right. it's, and people are always like waiting for it to go away. And I'm <laughs> really into like the idea of it going on for a long time, but like moving, you know, yeah. not necessarily even getting, and this was a step where it's like doing this project or just the idea of doing beats for someone but it's like, I don't expect this to be any more popular than what I've done. If anything, it would probably dip. Maybe my fans won't be into it. And that's fine. Like, I'm excited to be, you know, 50 and making some 
weird sample-based yeah. stuff and whether 10 people were into it or not, whatever, just like, yeah. keep it moving. So anyways, I just started making these beats and um, the idea came up to, to work with someone and I kind of, um, doing the beats was different than what I normally do. So there was like a little bit of a learning curve and kind of catching up to making stuff the way I wanted it to sound. Mm. Um, so I probably had maybe... 80 beats done when, yeah. when I first started to like brainstorm people I wanted to work with. And there was a short list of names and, um, you know, I, the idea was to really work with someone. I didn't want to usher in a new rapper where yeah. it would be like girl talk presents this person. I right. wanted yeah. someone who had their own style and I have my own style and it's neither one of us. It's just own yeah. thing. And, um, you know, freeway was like one of the three main people I was thinking of, um, you know, I've just been a fan, and he's one of those guys kind of like talking about Philo, guy who sticks on his own path, keeps his grind, doesn't necessarily, stays, keeps it moving, doesn't stay with one thing, but yeah. doesn't necessarily jump ship to to whatever's popping just because it's popping. Yeah. You know, he's really, he's one of few rappers who had like, you know, platinum singles 10 years ago, and then it just stays on like the grind of touring with himself. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have their moment of having a huge single, and then it just... When that's done, you're done. Totally. He has just stayed and has a really impressive body of work. And he later like released on Rhyme Sayers and, and you know, got down with more like the indie rap scene, which is really interesting for someone yeah. who was signed to Rockefeller and associated with Jay-Z and whatnot. Um, so he just seemed perfect in that way that I just liked his personality for. But also my beats are kind of all over the place and I wanted someone who sounded good on a variety of beats. And so many people yeah. have their sound and like, some of his classic songs, a lot of his, I think people associate him with rapping over soul loops, which was a lot of stuff I was working with, but also like a lot of some of his Just Blaze stuff that are even hits are just like kind of like synth bangers, yeah. you know, soul stuff. So I just like his, he sounds good on everything. Yeah. And he's just so, his energy is so crazy. And I was like, this could be really fun to just have someone where it's like, if I switch up a beat, he'll be really excited to kind of, I envisioned it like a radio freestyle where you're, they're rapping and the beat switches uh -huh. up and you get motivated because yeah. I feel like that relates to early hip hop records with the beat changes, and that's yeah. heavily influential into my records. You know, just like that style of like '90s rap production where the beat changes for 15 yeah. seconds and goes back. So, um, so Freeway, we contacted a couple people simultaneously, and he was the first guy to kind of really um, call back, more or less. You yeah, know what I mean, like I talked to his manager, and it, it, he wasn't on board initially. His manager, Amir. Um, was familiar with mine, had been to shows and, and was down. And I don't know if Freeway had actually heard of it or not, mm. to be honest. And then we got on the phone and he was down with the idea. And, and, I, and like, I just never know whether like even my name is like a turnoff to someone just because <laughs> it's weird. And it's like, this right. guy does what? His name's Girl Talk and it's Masha. Like, what is this? Because it is so specific, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, we just booked studio time in Philly and I went out there with my friend Frank, who I mentioned before in Hearts of Darknesses. And yeah. the great thing about Freeway, which I didn't really know going into it, was that he's kind of down for whatever. Because I just had all these beats and I was kind of like, this one's a little too crazy or this one's mm. too this or too that. And everything we played, he was like down to give it a shot. You know what oh, I mean? Wow. And some, he definitely was like, I like this, I like this, I like this. But it was like nothing was it like off limits. You yeah. know what I mean? And there's one track that I feel like I want to release eventually that just didn't fit on the EP, but he's like rapping over this like psychedelic 60s guitar loop thing. Mm. And I think he thought of it as like a Beach Boys sort of vibe, which it mm. kind of relates to to me as well. But he kind of sang on it like a rock dude. 
thing. Mm. Like his, like it, he just had this like impersonation of like a '60s rock guy. Just <laughs> the way he kind of broke it down, and it was awesome. It was just so bizarre and like didn't really fit into the vibe of the EP. But like everyone in the studio was going crazy when he did it, yeah. like all his voice and stuff. So it was just really fun, you know what I mean? And, and it was nice hanging out with them. And um, yeah, we just got along. And I think the first, you know, I'm a fan, and I, it's just like I watch the guys' videos, watch them and videos of jay-z so i meet him it's like intimidating you know what i mean yeah. like i don't want to never done this i don't really know what you even do in a studio i just mm. work at my house doing all my stuff yeah so the first day or two it was a little bit like figuring out each other and then it slowly wore down and he just has his friends around and there are a lot of people he's known since childhood and they're all cool and everyone just kind of slowly melted together and i felt like yeah. my last day it felt really comfortable to like you know, just give him suggestions or him to tell me like he's not feeling this or that. And yeah. got to the point where it's like Frank was like telling him how to, to see if he could change up this one ad lib. And like, yes, Frank <laughs> to like get in the booth and do it himself. And then we use Frank's like just like wild stuff that I thought would never happen, you know? Yeah. And it's like I never even thought I'd be like giving him rhyme suggestions, which never nothing of that actually impacted the album. But it was like discussing the actual right, stuff, right. which I have never written rhymes and never really written lyrics or anything. So I didn't think I'd be involved in it at all, but it got comfortable enough where we were actually dissecting what he was saying and all yeah. of that. So yeah, it was a really rewarding experience just being a fan of his and it kind of being a surreal fantasy sort of thing. And uh, from that session, we didn't really... There was a ton of stuff, but it was all over the map. So we just kept recording where he would go to Philly and record. And um, and then there was just, like a period of months where <laughs> he would like pop in there a couple days a week and I would just get the phone call at 5 a.m. and it'd be like him leaving the studio just so fired up about today's work and oh, kind of be breaking awesome. down like what he did. Yeah. So we ended up recording like 30 songs together total and like a lot of bits and pieces. And yeah. then he just, I basically took all of it and was able to just like cut it up. And like some of the rhymes that we use, some of the verses weren't necessarily laid on that beat. You know what I mean? A lot of the main things on there, the songs were the way they were, but a lot of them are cut up. Like the first song tolerated on the EP, um, he recorded like eight verses on that song or mm. something and then like we just pick like two. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. So that was really fun because that would really put it into my world when I'm putting together a Girl Talk normal like solo album. Yeah. And, like I have millions of verses and can really pick and choose. So that was fun and, and you know, I'd like to do stuff like that more. And I think it was rewarding for him too, because I also I think he would tell you this, like, you know, we went back and forth on some things and like not necessarily butted heads, but I think I was like frustrating to him at points because I'm just a perfectionist and I've never really worked with someone like that so there were certain things I just like didn't love and I just like couldn't let it go yeah you know I mean it was like can we try something else here and I think I was annoying him at a certain point mm. and it got to a point where I think by the end of the project he was just into it as like he took it as more me trying to like raise the bar for him yeah and since then you know we've been talking about doing more stuff and he's working on his like solo actual album release right now and uh yeah he's been really you know uh wanting to get me involved which is great oh, like means awesome. a lot to me so was, I, I was worried at the end of it it's like was i too insane on this like was mm. this like a turnoff but i think ultimately it was really good and i think his manager really appreciated the whole crew i think everyone just liked it and i think the way it was received to me is like i was mainly concerned about his fan base you know what i mean the last yeah. thing i want to do is put out a freeway project that his fans are like this is whack so um yeah just kind of seeing the reception and people being down with it you know i think he was really happy with it you know what i mean and i, yeah. I noticed a lot of people being like oh he sounds hungry again and i never thought he didn't sound hungry like yeah but i was happy with it and the fact that people were down with it and you know i think he perceived it as like you know a, a win you know like yeah. it turned out good so 
yeah, it was just really happy with the way it went down, and I definitely uh, plan on doing future stuff, like we're kind of discussing what it will be now. Yeah. Um, but no, at this point, I just feel like we'll probably be, as long as we're both making music, probably be doing something related for a while. Just because then yeah. he started coming out and doing festivals with me. Mm. And I feel like that's when we got a lot closer to when um, like I played on the... Uh, some big festival stages and like bringing freeway out and like performing in front of everyone. It was like, yeah. I think he was really amped too. Cause I think he's, you know, popping in his own world. But a lot of times some of those festivals are geared for a certain style of music and they overlook certain things right, or this right. or that. So in certain ones, it was like, Oh, this is a different world for freeway. Yeah. And he was really happy to be there and people were going nuts when he came out. And it was like, you know, I was happy for him and you know, I think he was down. So yeah, last year we probably did like, I don't know, maybe like 10 festivals where he came yeah. out with like a cameo and we did a little, part of the set and for my fan base there was definitely a contingent of people who were like where's the mashups at mm-hmm. which i knew was going to happen you know what i mean there's some people who are just like you know what is this or people who weren't familiar freeway but yeah like i knew that was going to be the case and i was very comfortable with that you know what i mean it was funny because the reception that i noticed was positive everywhere and the main place i saw negativity was like my facebook page where mm-hmm. like free waves facebook page critics world star hip-hop whatever like seemed generally decent yeah and uh and it wasn't all of my fans there was definitely people who were riding for it hard and that was cool but there was definitely a percentage who were just really wanted this next mashup album which i've right. put out since 2010 and were pissed because of it and i'm sure there's some crossover with those people or maybe some of the same people who were like doing the opening acts that i chose to bring <laughs> right. out you know right. It's like a dream or beyond a dream, especially coming from background of never really having anyone who likes anything to have a fan base, you know, who yeah. wants something. It's really tight. But at the same time, it's like you, you want to keep it moving in some way. Right. You, you know what I mean? So it's like I'm not done with it. I still work on that stuff a lot constantly. It's like for live shows and I want it to all blend together. I'm not yeah. trying to be like, I'm done with that. I'm doing this. Right. I want it to be one. And if people aren't down with it, that's fine to me yeah. you know what I mean I'm happy to like it's not like weeding people out or anything but it's like I'm gonna keep it moving forward and yeah it just hits a point where it's like I don't know yeah it's like I'm comfortable with where it's at popularity wise the project as a whole and I just it wouldn't be a major problem for it to dip right, to be right, honest right. you know what I mean it's like I'd rather cultivate or have fan base who are just down for whatever yeah. I think that's kind of what's happened I'm sure there's people who are down with those records and down to freeway thing, and that might be a smaller percentage than people who were just down yeah. the last record. Was it cool to put something out that is like not this super specific thing and have it get noticed in that way? Yeah, you know, what I mean? yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, I mean, it was like it's pretty calculated, you know. What I mean, because I had I had a lot of time as the beats were. It was a slow evolution to get to that point, like making the beats, then thinking about who I wanted and being yeah. like. Freeway would be tight, you know. It just was kind of like, yeah, it was kind of like I the way it received. I didn't know whether obviously like critics would like it or dislike it. You never know that, obviously. But like you know, the way the fan base received it was kind of how I envisioned it. Yeah, in a good way, and you know, I knew there'd be some, you know, blowback or whatever. Um, But yeah, it was just really important to kind of and again, kind of like I was saying with the whole like people think of it as such a specific novel project yeah. that it's nice to just be like, you can also do this with sampling and this isn't, this is going to be perceived so much differently than my other albums, even though they're basically the same tools and the same idea. Yeah. And it's like, I would sample freeway on my albums and I've sampled them in my shows constantly, like flip sides, like a staple in my sets. But yeah. like all of a sudden, like, 
like certain contention isn't feeling it when it's like he's actually on the track. There's, <laughs> right. there's weird things, you know, it's like, yeah. but yeah, I'm happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's definitely where I want to be. And cause at a point, like after even all day and touring it, I was kind of like, I like working on this music and I like working on shows. I don't know if I'm going to do another album like it. Um, but there was a thing of like, I don't know what to do next or if I need mm. to do anything next. So I'm just going to like just wait a while. And then yeah. like that idea was a real, like, Oh, this is so clear. And it always seems so far removed. And even after when Night Ripper got some press, a lot of people started to ask whether media people, like whether I wanted to get into production, yeah. especially because Danger Mouse did the Grey album. And then oh, he was yeah. always a producer, but then post Grey album, he got so famous as a producer. Yeah. Um, so I think people were like always bringing that up back then, whether I wanted to go that route. And the answer was always like, no, I, I just had no concern. I was so like singular in this vision of trying right, to right. execute what Girl Talk was at the time. And uh, yeah, so then it was just kind of like that kind of ran its course. And I don't think it's done, but it just, it got to the point where it's like, all right, now I want to move. Yeah. You know, and, and I was very sincere back then when I was like, no, you know, and, and it came up so often. It was just like, no, that's not my thing. And in a weird way, I always felt, since I work alone, I always felt so isolated from any collaborations, mm. especially like, you know, something on people who previously worked on major labels or like more of the mainstream music world. Right. It's like so like a different world. Yeah. But then once I kind of made the jump, at least to working with Freeway and, uh, you know, getting Walk a Flock on the track and that whole thing, it's like, yeah, you can, I don't know, I just kind of realized it's not that far removed. You can kind of do it at your own pace and do it your own way. Right, right, right. Yeah, and it's it's almost like they're coming into your world more than you're yeah. coming to theirs. Yeah. Way you know, I wanted to make a video that was like, we got to do something where we both fit into this world. Yeah. Like, I don't want to have to be looking like hard in your rap video. Right. And I don't want you being like throwing confetti in the air. Right, <laughs> You right, know right. what I mean? So it was like the perfect solution to like have a really violent video that was like also comical. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, yeah, it was so, yeah, the whole thing was rad because I just, that's so, that's the thing too, like, like I was saying, just even the idea of producing, like doing what I've done, it's always been in such my own little bubble that I've never really even done a music video. I had one on it. Yeah. I think that was like the last official music video I did. So just even just doing it felt really surreal, even though, you know, I've had certain success doing music, playing on big stages or whatever, just like being there with a camera crew was like so surreal. And I was like, which I'm sure a lot of people do music videos on a yeah. regular basis. And, but yeah, kind of making it, putting it together and actually, you know, putting a little bit of a budget behind it and like, having a stunt coordinator showing me how to throw punches on camera and stuff. I was yeah. like, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I was really happy. And the director, Alan just knocked it out of the park. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, it was like a real fun experience. And so like, that was another thing too, a freeway where I was like, I don't know, man, if I'm going to throw this out there, if he's going to be like, this is stupid, like the idea yeah. or whatever. And, uh, I kind of sent him the treatment through an email and he was just totally about it. And we go there and he was like, just, he's just such a, like, he's such a, like, good sport more or less yeah, yeah. it's a bad way to put it he's just so down for stuff where i'm like i don't know maybe this is like not exactly his thing but yeah he's just down and uh yeah i just felt like it was a cool look for definitely for me i love way camera but also i just felt like for freeway as someone who's been pretty consistent in their career it felt like it was a fun way to mix it up yeah you know? yeah totally well what do you what do you got on deck as much as you're comfortable revealing like what do you got on deck for the future so yeah, I'm trying to do want to do something like the freeway project, maybe with someone else. I love I love the EP format. Yeah, you know, it's it's I always love a short album. We were talking about earlier, but listen to Winterize the Game Day. I noticed yes. it's like 25 minutes long. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like <laughs> it's such a tight length. 
Um, so, yeah, so it has been interesting kind of dealing with, um, you know, the collaboration world and trying yeah. to, um, I haven't like been super aggressive, but just kind of, you know, some people I've met with and um, certain rappers I want to work with, you know, we've had some things too, it just shows and having guests come out occasionally and yeah. stuff like that. So there's some like seeds planted right now for yeah. potential ones. And I, there's, it was like a confirmation in my head, someone's yeah, firm, yeah. but I can't say it out loud because sure. there's been a confirmation prior to this that kind of fell through. Mm. So, um, so none of the music is actually done, but yeah, it's like, I've been taking time off shows. So I do have, I feel like I'm sitting on like maybe 120 beats right now. And I, cool. I've been feeling better about the new stuff. I've been having to go back and like revisit stuff from two years ago because I didn't hear it. I wasn't yeah. making it the way I, I should have been making it. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to kind of get involved in that world more yeah. and, and do some more projects. And I kind of have a, I have a vision of how I want it to unroll, but eventually I would love to just be doing a lot of them at once and both like more mainstream style rappers, but also potentially you know, there's some local rappers in Pittsburgh who I'm down with who yeah. are kind of on the up and up and that I wouldn't mind like, you know, dabbling in something like that. Like, yeah. the thing is, like with my solo albums, it's always been, I've always tried to just have them be, not events, but try to make this perfect album. So it's been like two years in between mm -hmm. all of them at least. And it's been these long gaps. I haven't really released much music in between that. Yeah. And I would like to get out of that and start throwing around more one-offs and and stuff yeah. like that because I feel like I've boxed myself into being like every time I do a project it's this very important thing for me where mm. it's like I'd like to just do a song with someone and that be that yeah um, and just be more active because I just feel like it's also that's the way the internet works obviously you just have to you know you don't have to but just more content that's helpful to make people right. know you're alive and I feel like I'm just quiet and I don't necessarily like tweeting or Instagramming every yeah. day so I feel like sometimes people are like what happened to that dude I'd like to like just have more stuff, not to be out there just because I, I create every, I was talking to my girlfriend Kendall about this, just like, it's so wild how many hours I put in up there every day when I'm here, just working, working, working. Right. But it's like to the world, I haven't really put out anything except for this EP with Freeway in the past like five years or whatever. Right. So yeah, so that's kind of a goal that I just want to cut I, myself off from these like rules I've put down and just start doing stuff more yeah. one-off projects and just keep it moving and just do more weird stuff and just break the rules that i set for myself more yeah i could see i could see it being like like with the eps i could see it being like a series yeah and, and it's popular now too you yeah. know like the one-off with people and i love the format for yeah. other people um so yeah that would be great um but yeah it's just it's just a wild world especially it's like the bigger the name you think of, probably the more hectic their life yeah. might be. And some people, Freeway's pretty organized, you know what I mean? Which I think I really lucked out on. He's right. easy to get on the phone. A guy who we just talk, call to just talk and stuff. Yeah. And uh, some people <laughs> who I've tried to deal with, I won't mention, it is like a bit more to strip. And I get the sense that like your life is crazy. And like right. you need... a you're a huge name and you don't really have a manager. It's like your friend doing it or something. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's like some, it's like kind of hard dealing with that world sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like, I guess part of the adventure. Yeah. I guess everyone could be, 
everyone would be totally different. Or so, like, like you would find some dudes like him that are super on the ball and like right, somewhere it's like we got him for like one day in the right. studio. Yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, yeah, it's just such a quick kind of drop of the hat thing. It's like, yeah. Yeah, so it's been stressful, you know. I mean, sometimes I'm just like freaking out over it, mm. you know, in terms of like, man, it's like it seems so hard to like make this contact. And I would be, there's been certain things too with dealing with certain people where it's like, um, I'll send them stuff and they'll be really into it and like be like specifically about like this one thing. And then it's just kind of like quiet time. And it's like, I've been happy if they're like, no, nah, not feeling the beats. And yeah. Like, that's cool. Like, I'm, that's not offended at all. So it's been weird things where some people seem so jacked or so amped on this idea of doing something, and then it's kind of like, it just seems like their life is so hectic, it kind of falls apart unless you're like in their life and they see you on a day-to-day right, basis. Right, and, and I think in the hip-hop world, I think producers sometimes sort of just have to accept that they're treated like that. Yes. Yeah. Not that they have to, but... yeah. You just do everything you can to be like, these are my beats. This is what I do. This is who I am. And just like, it's totally up to chance yeah. if they ever like follow through. Yeah. And I, I do think in my experience, which has been pretty limited so far, but it's been really about personal relationships. Yeah. So it's like, you can hit people up online and they're like, oh, I played this big festival. That seems cool. Oh, I like your beats. But it's yeah. like, it's so much different now with Freeway than it was two years ago when we yeah. were trying to contact him. It took a long time to like, get him to confirm or get him on the phone. It was like, you know, but now it's like, now that we've spent the time together and he's down with what I do, it's a different thing. So I feel like that's just so important, just being there. And as opposed to, um, yeah, there's a couple other things like that where it's been like so hard to make something happen through email, but then running into someone and then it just immediately happens right then. Yeah, totally. Anything else you want to mention? I I feel like there should be a separate hype podcast group session with uh, Jackson and Grunge where we specifically talk about that show in my parents' backyard. Maybe even review the video beforehand because the video, your your full set with dog and ponies on there. And that was just such like a crazy day that I feel like that like deserves some like attention of its own world. All right. Thanks again to Greg for setting it off. We'll see you next week.